when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back from Hostage to Hero. Sari Delamont, your host. And um, if you have not already gotten on the wait list for when H2H, the membership is going to open again. It will open in October and we will not open again until January. So you'll have to wait another three months to get in there, my friends. And this is the time. I mean, our attorneys are having so much fun in there posting videos, offering feedback, getting in voir dire circles and practicing voir dire, getting nonverbal feedback, learning in the live trainings, all of the stuff, case workshop. We are having so much fun in there. And I just said the other day, because someone was so overwhelmed, they're like, oh my God, there's so much in here. I can't take advantage of it. And I said, bingo, that's how it's set up. Don't start beating yourself up about how I can't take advantage of all. We've set it up that way. We're offering so much in the membership that it should feel a little overwhelming. <laughs> it's like the Netflix of sorry, okay? When you get in the membership, there's tons of live stuff to participate in. I think I'm in there at least five times a month. Kevin's in there twice a month. We're going to start having guest webinars. So, I mean, there's at least two things a week live that are happening every month. And then in October, we're going to have the static course that will be in there that you can do self-paced. So for what you're paying monthly, even if you never take advantage of the live stuff, it's still worth it because it's going to be a steal. So make sure you get over there because that's coming up in just a few weeks and we'll only be open for a few days and then we're shut down and we won't open again until January. All right. Well, today we are talking about this concept that I find so fascinating, which is that language shapes your experience. So what do I mean by that? Okay. So language, meaning the way we talk about things, shapes the experience that we have. So I'm going to tell you a story that I've told often. So some of you may have heard it, but it's like one of my favorite stories. I got a lot of stories for you today. It's a story time. Listen up, my friends. Pull up a chair. So Kevin and I, years and years ago, did what um, is called the Volvo Overseas Program. So Volvo is a Swedish car company, and you can go to a Volvo dealership here in the United States, and you pick out your car. I mean, I'm talking like what the model is, what the color is. There's like special things that you can have added. We had this special console in the inside like Norwegian wood something I don't know that you can't even get in the United States I mean you just go through this catalog and you're like I want these wheels and this interior and this color and they build it for you and then when it's ready you they fly you over there on their dime and then you can pick up your car in Gutenberg Sweden and you can drive it around all over Europe for up to six months and then you drop it off and they ship it back to you and the whole thing, including the car, is cheaper than if you just walked into a dealership today in the United States and just bought a car and drove it off the lot. I don't know how they do it. It's not a lot cheaper. It's like 5% cheaper or something like that. My, my guess is if you go over there and you sit in the car even for five seconds, it's used. And for some reason, maybe they can export used cars cheaper. I don't know. I don't know the math behind it. But we'd heard about this for years. And so we were so excited to do this. This was back in 2013. 
And so we went and we did it. We we got the XC90, I think is what it was, or no, 60. And they flew us over there. It's before we had our daughter. And, you know, they give you lunch and the tour of the factory. And I have so many stories from this Sweden trip. I'll probably hear, you'll probably hear all of them over the course of this podcast. But so we get the car, we drive it to Finland, which is where I have a cabin, a family cabin. And we're there for a month and we are heading back home. And of course, to get from Sweden to Finland, there's a ferry that's involved. So we get down to Helsinki and we get on the ferry and it's an overnight trip. And so I fall asleep. I don't sleep real well on boats or planes, I guess trains. I'll add that one in there. I don't know how I sleep on trains. I mean, I don't think I've ever been on a train. Hmm. Have I been on a train? Anyway, so I wake up the next morning. I'm, I haven't had great sleep and my iPad is about to die. So all I can get out of it is pretty much how to get us on the right freeway. And I always remember this as like freeway four, like one, one number, freeway four. So I tell Kevin what the freeway is. We get on it and I promptly fall asleep. Okay. Three hours later. Yes. I obviously can sleep in cars. I wake up and it is the most beautiful. I can't even explain it. It was just like, like out of a movie. It's like flowing fields on one side, the ocean on the other side. The sunshine is just gorgeous. And, you know, I plugged in my iPad and I, I open it up and I, you know, you see that little dot moving on the map to show you where you are and it starts to move and it starts to go up the coast of Sweden versus across the bottom of Sweden. And that's when I realized that yes, we are on the right highway, but we are going the wrong direction. And now, not only were we three hours out of our way, but we were like six hours away from the factory and the factory closed in two hours and it was a Friday and we were uh, set to fly out the next morning. So we, Kevin turns the car around and I just slumped down in my seat and I say to him, I said, this is a nightmare. And Kevin with his eyes on the road, I'd like to think for safety, but I'm pretty sure that it was because he was scared of me. <laughs> My reaction says, this is not a nightmare. We're in Sweden in our brand new car on vacation. If this is a nightmare in your world, I want your life. Perspective. Now I want to talk about why I told that story because it has everything to do with this concept of language shaping your experience. Here's the thing you have to understand about the brain. The brain is incredibly energy efficient. It will do anything to conserve energy because it runs the whole system. So it can't be overloaded. So the brain hates cognitive dissonance. Okay, it hates cognitive dissonance more than anything else. So it will try to align and it will align with any damn thing you tell it. So if you say this is a nightmare, the brain goes, nightmare coming right up. And it creates for you a nightmare. Okay. If you say, oh my God, this week is so busy and stressful. The brain says, uh, coming right up, busy and stressful week. And you th I think, well, how does it create busy and stress? Well, it does. It will align whatever you tell it to do. So even if you are not having a busy and stressful week, 
but you describe it as busy and stressful, that is the experience that you are going to have. And I can't tell you how many times clients come into client sessions and they say, oh my gosh, this week is just so stressful and busy. And now I've been working with clients on neutralizing their language. Because when you describe an experience, what you are doing is you are programming your brain to have that experience. This is how powerful, for example, thought work is. This is how powerful language is. Y'all know that this is the the case in, in trial. The way we describe something is how it shapes it for jurors as well. Y'all know this happens in trial. You'll say one thing and it'll completely change how the, the jurors are viewing what you're talking about. I mean, just a word. For example, here, here's a small example from, from last month in the uh, membership, but we had someone come into the uh, nonverbal feedback part of the, of the membership and they did a part of an opening and I give them feedback on their nonverbals and how they're presenting. And there was a story about a woman who uh, had to go to the ER and called her sister the first time. But the second time that she had the pain and wanted to go back to the ER, he said in the story, this time she couldn't call her sister and instead called 911. Now, notice the word couldn't. Immediately, I think he said can't originally, but let's just use couldn't for an example here. Immediately, my brain went to couldn't, like she couldn't reach the phone. She couldn't call the sister because the sister wasn't available. I mean, I just started thinking of all these possibilities when he said couldn't, when where he actually meant she didn't call the sister. She just immediately called 911 because the pain was so bad. So notice where just even a word couldn't to didn't told my brain what it should be doing and what it should be playing with. I mean, language is powerful. We talk here a lot about nonverbal communication and how important it is. And it is important. Do not get me wrong. But language, and and by the way, word choice is nonverbal. Think about that for a minute. What words you choose shape how people think about what you're saying. That's a nonverbal piece. That's not about the actual word. It's about the, the effect the word has. So word choice is nonverbal. So couldn't versus didn't makes my brain go in a totally different direction. Here's how this can help you. At least here's how I think it can help you. (laughs) Is that I want you to neutralize your language. Start recognizing where you are creating problems for yourself. So when you say, I'm not a very good public speaker. You've just told the brain to not speak well in public. And the brain will obey you. That's what you have to recognize. We tend to think that the brain is doing whatever it's doing and we don't have any control over that. Now, yes, there are old neural pathways that we have created that, or at least maybe I should even say current neural pathways that we have created uh, of thought patterns and things that we think that we think them so often that we've worn that neural pathway deep into the brain tissue. And so again, because the brain is so energy conscious, it's going to fire real quickly along those old neural pathways. That's why coaching is so powerful is because coaching, this is actual research-based, coaching helps create 
new neural pathways. But creating new neural pathways takes work. It takes practice telling your brain what you want it to think versus what it naturally thinks because it's so much easier, again, because that energy consciousness, to just think the old things. That's why so often Coach G's come into sessions and they're bringing the same stuff. They're like, I don't know, I can't believe we're talking about this again. I think I can. Totally normal because we're practicing creating new neural pathways and we have to kind of run over the same thing over and over again until those start firing just as quickly as the old neural pathways. Now, unfortunately, we cannot destroy or delete or get rid of old neural pathways. So unless we're really conscious about this, the brain can easily slip back into those old patterns and ways of thinking. But this is why how you're talking about things can be part of your practice in terms of your thought work. So when you say things like, I can't just, I'm not a very good public speaker, stop that shit. Because in that moment, you are programming your brain to meet you where you are and create a speaker that is not speaking well. Or this is a really stressful week. Your brain's like, okay, let's let's see this as stress. Let me raise your heart rate. Let me let me bring the body into alignment with what you've just told me is the experience that you would like to have. That's how amazing our brains are. And this is why I keep saying you guys control this shit. You get to decide what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what your experience is. And a huge part of this is how you're describing things. So the next time you go and you say, I, God, this is such a busy week or I have so many things to do. Guess what? You just get to say, I have things to do. Not so many, not a lot, not even some. I have things to do this week. That is a neutral statement. You are not busy. You are active. You are uh, alive. <laughs> we can neutralize this a million different ways. And let me give you another Swedish story because I love my Swedish stories. So this is one of my favorite ones ever about language and how it shapes your experience and how you think about things and how we label things. This is a labeling story. So the night before we were going to get on the plane, you know, we finally made it back to Gothenburg late. Uh, luckily, they had somebody who could meet us at the hotel and it all got worked out and it was not the nightmare that I said it was going to be. Um, so there we go. And so we're in the in, and we're packing the night before. And so I have a lot of valuables that I buy, like breakable things, glasses and, you know, pottery and that kind of thing when I'm out there in Finland. And so I'm packing kind of all of the souvenirs and gifts and those kinds of things to take with me on the plane. And then I packed everything else in the suitcase to be checked. So the next morning, we get to the airport, and we're standing in line, and I'm reading the sign. I just love this story. I crack myself up. I'm reading the sign that says, you know, do not bring knives or guns or any weapons through security. And I literally think to myself, who would be so stupid in today's day and age to attempt to bring a weapon through security? I mean, even you know, outside the United States, you know, just here in a small little Scandinavian country. So my bag goes through the scanner and the nice Swedish man says, ma'am, can I look through your bag? And I said, sure. Why? And he said, because it appears you have a weapon. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't have a weapon. And then he proceeds to pull a weapon out of my bag. <laughs> I just love the story. And what he proceeded to pull out was a fish knife that 
we had bought for Kevin because the night before, as I was packing my souvenirs, I labeled that in my brain souvenir, whereas the airport is going to label that as (laughs) a weapon. This is how powerful the brain is. It thinks whatever we want it to think. When I labeled it a souvenir, it was no longer a weapon. It was a souvenir. So therefore, it just went totally flew right under my radar. Thankfully, it didn't fly under their radar for the people who are really trying to get weapons through. And this is what I'm talking about. The power of language. It shapes our experience. So once you neutralize your language, the next thing you can do is start programming what you want to think. So instead of this is such a busy and stressful week, the first step is to move to I have things to do this week, (laughs) right? Neutralize it. Then you can start playing with programming. I have so many opportunities this week to practice being present or whatever it is of how you can see the situation differently because again, you control this shit. You get to decide what kind of experience you have. And so often we tend to think it's the outside forces that are coming in and making our lives shit when it's really our own brains because we're saying and programming the experience that we then end up having. Language shapes your experience. Start watching how you describe what's happening in your life day to day. And first step, neutralize that shit. Second step, start programming what you want to think instead. I cannot tell you how this has changed the lives of my clients and and myself, frankly. Never taken a weapon through security again. (laughs) Well, I hope that was helpful. Choose your words wisely. Speak to yourself nicely. It really does change everything. Talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sari Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.